Hi, I'm Jill. In this episode of The Vibe, we're going to listen to a discussion between Dr Anne French and Scott Godfrey talking about what it's like to study a nursing or health subject. Hi, I'm Scott Godfrey. I'm a Principal Lecturer in Marketing and Recruitment in the School of Health and Life Sciences here at Teesside University. And um, my colleague Anne French, who is the Associate Dean for Marketing and Recruitment in the School of Life Sciences, are going to go over some of the um, frequently asked questions that we get from applicants and also some of the questions we get at some of our open days and our Discover Health days to help you navigate through uh, some of the questions you might have about the school or your course or your application process. Uh, so Anne, um, often when we do open days and we go out to colleges we get asked common questions or what we call frequently asked questions. Um, quite often we get a lot, lot of questions around um, courses uh, and the differences between our courses. So in particular when um, we, we go out we get questions about our nursing courses um, and quite often students or applicants don't understand what fields of nursing are available and what the differences are. Yeah that's a really good question Scott. So we've got um, a very big provision for nursing here at Teesside um, and there are four uh, different fields of nursing that you could go into. Um, so first of all adult and I think a lot of people know what an adult nurse does. Um, we get a lot of applications for adult nursing, uh, child nursing and then mental health and also um, learning disabilities. Um, so sometimes people have got to you know, think about what career they want to go in before they actually come to Teesside. So you know, it's really helpful if they have a little look about and think about what area of nursing they might like to go into because it is one programme. Now the first year is all taught together and then after the first year then they more or less branch off into the different fields. Um, and, but the good thing about the course is you do get a little bit of a taster of what it's like to be in, a, in an, an alternate field. And that's because the Nursing and Midwifery Council want nurses to come out at the end of the three years to be able to look after patients with mental health issues, learning disability issues, with children or adult nursing, depending on what field of nursing they're going to. So there's always an opportunity for two weeks um, um, to have a, an, a, um, an opportunity to go in to look at an alternate field. Um, but the placements of where people can go on is, a, is a, a big variety really. So you can work in an acute hospital, you can work in the community, um, in primary care, the independent sector, um, hospice. There's a variety of areas that people can go in. But just understanding what area of nursing that you want to go into at the beginning of the course is really important. Yeah, how would you advise applicants to mm. kind of uh, look into that? What, what's the best way to look at the different fields and the differences between the fields? Because quite often the questions we get is, should I come and do adult nursing or what people call general nursing? And then I'll specialise later. So I think it's almost a safe option to do yes. general nursing. But what's the best way they can prepare to look at the different fields? And can you just do general nursing and then top up? Yeah, that's a really good question. It is asked quite a lot. So I think the best way to prepare is really to have, have a look at the information out there, to look at our website, to look at our course information, to come along to an open day, because at open day we have uh, staff available from different fields, and often there are students available as well who can give um, potential applicants 
um, a little bit more information about what the course entails and what career opportunities are available. So have a little look about and having a, a read about what does a learning disabilities nurse do. And there are also some national uh, websites, so there's a lot around learning disabilities, mental health, child nursing or paediatric nursing as it's known, and adult nursing. So have a little look beforehand, come along to an open day, write some questions down so that you can actually ask those, those really important questions to clarify. Um, and they're really some of the, the most important things to do. But then um, you can't um, do a general qualification and then top up. Um, you used to be able to do that, but um, it's not a recognised route now. It doesn't mean you can't specialise in other areas, but there's not a, a designated course you can just top up. No, no, there isn't. But you're right, you can specialise in, in a variety of different areas. And, think, and, and now, in, um, if you were qualified as a mental health nurse, if you're qualified as a learning disabilities nurse, there are lots of those types of roles within general nursing. So, for example, there's a lot of people who come into um, sort of an acute hospital with a learning disability. Mm. Um, and there are lots of areas that have learning disabilities nurses working in a general hospital environment to be able to specifically support people with learning disabilities. Um, so there's a variety of different career opportunities available really. And I suppose just one of the other questions that we get asked in terms of the nurse, and I suppose some of the other courses as well, but in particular nurses, do I get to choose my, pay, my placements? Mm. So that is a really important question. And um, so people come with a particular area that they would like to work in. So for example, they might want to work in um, gynaecology or um, palliative care, end of life care, and they're wondering whether they're gonna have that specific experience during the, mm. during the course. If you can imagine, there's a, an, a whole variety of areas that people can actually work in. Um, so it isn't possible for everybody to have every experience. Over the three year course, we introduced you to a variety of experiences and the experiences that the NMC say that you have to have to actually qualify as a nurse. And then once you've done that, then you have the opportunity to move into different areas. But there are opportunities throughout the three years where you have what we call preferred option placements. So it doesn't mean that you can pick absolutely everywhere that you want to go because there's a lot of students mm. um, and it would be impossible to give everybody their first choice. But we give you the opportunity to pick a variety of different areas. So for example, we say you can have um, six choices of a general area that you're interested in. For example, it might be about cardiovascular care. So if you're interested in looking after patients who've got heart problems, if you're interested in infection prevention and control, if you're interested in palliative or end of life care, there could be options. And what we say is if you pick six options, we're going to guarantee that you're going to get one of them. But it's not a specific ward or a specific, specific department. It's an area of care that you were going to be allocated to. Fab. Um, and obviously, again, one of the things we try to convey when we go out and we chat to applicants is that there's actually lots of different careers in the NHS and the private sector and the voluntary sector. Uh, but lots of our courses lead to uh, professional registration, so you can register with a professional body. One of those courses uh, where you can register with HCPC is our operating department practice course. I suppose what we often find is sometimes um, applicants haven't looked around at what different careers are available because there's actually hundreds of careers available in the NHS and lots of grown careers and I think 
operating department practice is one of those careers that some people might not have heard of, heard about, or they might be unclear um, what they do in practice, uh, but we're seeing lots more people applying for that course now. Um, so if someone hasn't heard of an ODP or an operating department practitioner, what is it and what can they expect and what can they do in the NHS once they qualify? That's a really good question. An, an operating department practitioner or ODP um, is something like, it's a, it's a very, uh, an area that people know really little about and yet it's a really important area and a valued member of the multi-professional team. So if you think about a surgical experience, if you're going into theatre, um, you could work as an ODP in a variety of areas within that. So for example, they might work in uh, pre-operative care. So when they're helping support the anaesthetist within the anaesthetic area, so that might be preparing a, a patient for theatre, and that might be preparing drugs, preparing equipment, but being in, a, in a, that pre-operative role where they're actually in the anaesthetic room with yeah, the so anaesthetist. before the operation. Yeah, pre-operative. So be, pre before the operation, absolutely. And then safely transferring the patient into theatre for surgery, so perioperatively, that's known as. Um, so that's during the operation. During the operation, absolutely. So um, supporting with equipment, maintaining a sterile field, uh, supporting the surgeon, um, and, and, and that sort of whatever happens when a person is actually in theatre, they have a really pivotal role as part of the multi-professional team within that. And then transferring a patient into recovery, so post-operatively, um, monitoring the patient's uh, vital observations, making sure they may remain hydrated, making sure they're recovering from the anaesthetic safely before then safely transferring the patient back to the ward after, after they've had their surgery. So with something like ODP, if someone was to come along to um, <coughs> Teesside University to study to be a, an operating department practitioner, um, how do we prepare them clinically before they go into this clinical setting? Yeah, we've got really excellent facilities here at Teesside uh, within the school. So we have um, an actually simulated theatre. So we have uh, an area where they can practice what it's like in terms of being in an anaesthetic room. So about intubation and, and, and what you would expect within giving somebody an anaesthetic. Um, moving into an area which is simulating a scrub room so they get used to putting a gown on, uh, scrubbing, putting the gloves on and into the actual theatre. So we, we totally simulate what it's like to be in, a, in an operating theatre and also into recovery. So everything that they would experience in practice, we've got the facilities to actually simulate that. Yeah, so and again, sometimes we get people who think they want to work in theatres and think, well, should I be a nurse or, or should I be an ODP? That's quite a tricky question, isn't it? How would you advise an applicant who's stuck between general nursing because they want to go into theatres or an ODP who might work in a theatre setting? Yeah, I mean, it, that, that is really difficult because sometimes nurses do want to go and, and, and work in theatre. And I think often it's because they don't understand the role of an ODP. Mm. So I think if, if theatre is an area where you really want to work in and that's your passion and you can, can't visualise yourself working in any other area, then becoming an expert in, as an ODP mm. is a really, really good, good career really because that's where you'll be. 
um, during the course you might have the opportunity to go out and, and see people, um, patients in different areas, for example in intensive care, and understand about people's pain control. Mm. So you would develop those skills that are needed to assess patients within that um, pre and post operative um, experience really. Fab. And obviously I know we've got lots of new courses that have uh, that are newly approved mm. and that, and that uh, we've got applicants applying for now. And one of those is our dental hygiene course. Um, I suppose, uh, again, we get a lot of questions about what is dental hygiene? What can I expect? And, and how, do, how do I prepare to be a dental hygienist on the course at Teesside? So again, how would you advise applicants? Yeah, so we have, uh, again, we've just talked about the ODP facilities that we've got, but we have um, a student dental facility here at, uh, within the school, um, which is an, an excellent facility. So um, GPs can refer patients into the student dental facility. So in year two of the dental hygiene course, you'd get the opportunity to practice those skills actually on live patients under the supervision of a clinician. But in that first year, we have a, a phantom, uh, phantom head lab, which I know sounds, sounds a bit strange, but it's actually a head facility um, that obviously simulates uh, what it would be like laying in a dental, dentist chair and the, the angle that you see a patient's head at. Um, and we give um, students a, a mock set of teeth that's their own uh, for three years to practice on. So they get the opportunity to use the equipment, uh, the, the, what they were doing as a, as a dental hygienist in terms of scaling somebody's teeth, uh, the equipment that they use, um, everything. They get to simulate all that on a phantom head before they move into practicing those hygiene skills. Um, on, on actually live patients in a dental facility. Yeah, and the good thing about that lab as well is if you come along to an open day, you can have a look around the lab and we often have students in there to chat to as well, don't we? Absolutely, and the, the dental students are really keen and very enthusiastic mm. and a, a really good source of telling um, applicants around their experience and what to expect uh, within that. Yeah, I think it's also, we have um, cameras, don't we, in the dental lab as well. So when the tutors also demonstrate in a particular skill, uh, students can visualise that on a monitor in front of them as yes, well, they so they can. can replicate what's being done as well. So Absolutely, yeah. So, it, so the facilities in terms of the dental provision uh, are, are really very good and uh, are definitely worth a look for at an open day. And in terms of progression, how, mm. how you know, because um, some applicants ask us about the, the, the therapy side of things. Yes. Is there a progressive route so that I can go down the therapy side as well? Absolutely. So um, we've just had approved a Masters in Dental Therapy um, and that's a, that's a new course and, and previously we've had a Dental and, and um, Hygiene and Therapy combined course but it was felt that actually um, in terms of uh, developing as a therapist it would be really good to, to provide a, a postgraduate um, qualification. So the idea is when you complete the, the dental hygiene course that you would go off and, and work as a dental hygienist get those skills and get first. those skills, mm. that consolidation for a year and then have that support by your wherever you work to actually progress onto being a therapist and we found that that's a really good good way because you would be supported in practice there's a lot of distance learning, but also a lot of on-the-job learning as well um, to develop those skills as a therapist. 
And again, uh, one of the one we're talking about new courses. That's one that's just been newly approved. Um, we've had several, and one of those is our chiropractic course. And again, when I'm going out to colleges, and some of our colleagues are going out to colleges to do talks about health professions and the different roles you can go into. <coughs> um, obviously, with it being a new course and new to our area, um, many people haven't heard of chiropractors, or they might have heard the term, but they really don't know what that role is and what the job is. Um, and again, we get question, asked questions, in particular, what around what the difference is between a chiropractor or a physiotherapist, for example. So what can you tell us about the chiropractic course? And how does it differ from that of a physio mm. course? Mm. Absolutely. So, you know, as, as these uh, new courses uh, become developed, um, it's about raising the profile and, and, and in terms of applicant, for applicants, understanding which one to pick. Mm. And that can be really tricky thinking about, you know, do I want to be a chiropractor? What does that mean? Or a physiotherapist? Or, or even sort of working in sports therapy and rehabilitation. What's the difference between all of those? Yeah, because there can be a bit of overlap between the three. Yes, there can, absolutely. Um, so if you want to be um, a chiropractor, chiropractor is, is, is a big focus on the musculoskeletal mm. system. That's and their specialism, isn't it? It is. That's their specialism. So they're looking at the musculoskeletal system and um, often they work in, um, in private practice. Mm. Um, and they specialise in that system and um, help patients with, uh, with they've had injury or particular, um, uh, if they've got symptoms and pain and with manipulation around that musculoskeletal system. Um, chronic uh, muscular can, and absolutely. Uh, you know, issues like arthritis and things yes, like that. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas a physiotherapist is, is, is different and where a chiropractor often focus might be in, in primary in, in private practice physiotherapists can also work in private practice and, and many do but also they might work in um, acute hospital mm. trusts uh, they might work in GP practices they might work in community hospitals they might see patients in their own home yeah. um, and a variety of different departments but they don't only specialize in the musculoskeletal system but they, they, they do a variety of different systems yeah that's important isn't it because again when we get asked around uh, certainly applicants applying for physiotherapy how do i best prepare it's making sure you understand what the role of a physiotherapist is because that is the, the the one of the main differences is just it's not just musculoskeletal is it no it isn't it isn't and and it's around you know so respiratory care so it might be around care of the lungs it might be about cardiovascular care it might be um, the neurological system mm. um, and throughout that the course you know students will have an opportunity to work in a variety of different areas so sometimes people come along and say I want to be working I want to be a physio and see themselves working with a, a football team or something mm. um, but there are but during that programme, there's a lot of work within the acute hospital looking at the respiratory system, cardiovascular system. Yeah, and again, physios will work in places like stroke rehab or on Absolutely, yeah. Um, ITU departments yeah. Uh, for chest clearances and stuff like that. So it's, it's very diverse, isn't Very, it? very diverse role. So um, recently we've had um, a, a redesigner and a, a makeup, I'm guessing, of our occupational therapy uh, facilities at Eastside University, and we've uh, seen lots of imagery around the new facilities. Um, if I'm applying for occupational therapy, what can I expect from the course, and what can I expect from the facilities here at Teesside? Yeah, you're right. We've had a, a lot of investment in the OT facilities. Um, which has been which has been really good because I think 
around OT, not, it's another role that people are not mm. always quite sure about what people do, but it's around um, maximising pe people's potential. And that might be within well, their physical potential, so it might be recovery from um, an, an injury, it might be living with a long-term health condition, um, it might be helping them to live with something like chronic fatigue or a mental health illness. Um, and it's around being able to promote positive outcomes for, for, for people. I think that's one of the tricky things about OT and occupational mm. therapy as a, as a role is it because it's so diverse and because you can work with all age groups and in lots of different settings, it then makes it quite hard to define, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, so you're right. So you can have OTs that work in paediatric care, um, elderly care, you know, mental health settings with people with learning disabilities. Often um, hospices have their own occupational therapist mm. because they're helping people work in within the limits of their, uh, of their live within the limits of their illness. Um, and the facilities um, that we have simulate that. So we have a fully functional kitchen. So you might think, well, why would you need a, a kitchen? But it's, again, helping people to live within, you know, being able to be independent, so being able to cook with themselves, um, maybe help them with aids and adaptations to help them do that. So um, they might need things to help them um, be able to carry a pan. So if somebody's mm. got rheumatoid arthritis, which means they've got limited function in their limbs, um, how do they live independently with yeah. that? So it could be simple tasks, even like turn on a tap, or Absolutely. what is seen as a simple everyday task yeah. to you and I, which is a bit more difficult if you've got an acute injury or condition or a long-term condition that affects your, your uh, grasp, for example. Yes, yeah, those simple things. You know, getting out of bed in the morning, some things that we do every day that we take for granted. For some people living with long-term conditions or recovering from, from, from a health issue, you know, they are not taken for granted mm. things. They're things that make it really difficult. And sometimes it makes people difficult to live independently. So there's other areas apart from the kitchen, isn't there? Absolutely. So there's a bedroom. So there's a bed so to help people get in and out of bed. There's a living area. Again, so thinking about what what might impact on people's ability to live in the living area, and then there's a there's a bespoke teaching area as well, and then on the other side of that facility, there's a simulated ward area. So again, hospital bed area, moving and handling equipment uh, is also present. So again, whether you are you know uh, working and helping people within their own home. Or doing that transition, you know, often when people are in an acute hospital um, and the ability to go home will depend on something like an, a home visit. So again, it's simulating those different areas that you might come into contact with, with patients. So I'm aware we focus there on physical adaptations. Absolutely, but yeah. Occupational therapists are not just concerned with physical adaptations. Um, they are also involved in kind of, as I said earlier, helping people mm. with uh, mental health conditions, yeah. uh, work in children's areas, paediatric yeah. areas, they can work in skills and yeah. work with people with learning disabilities. So it's quite diverse, isn't it? It is very, very, very diverse. And they help with a lot of different things like visualisation techniques, management of anxiety, we've mentioned fatigue. Mm. So it is a really, um, really interesting and varied role. And like you said, working across you know many different age groups um, and again when we've gone out and we, we when we give our updates on different types of health careers and promoting different careers um, 
One of those careers that we're seeing that's becoming more and more popular each year is diagnostic radiography. Um, what is a diagnostic radiographer? Because that's a question I get often asked. Um, what do they do in their role? And how do we prepare them to go into clinical practice again? Mm. So a diagnostic radiographer is again, I mean, when we've talked about all our health courses, we, we say that they're a pivotal role, but they, they are, and, and we've got multi-professional courses that all depend on each other. And being a diagnostic radiographer is using state-of-the-art equipment and imagery to help people um, diagnose either injury or health, particular health conditions. So for example, as a diagnostic radiographer, you might be warranted to take x-rays, for example, of somebody who comes into accident emergency. So somebody who's had a fall, uh, who's been in a car accident, and they might need some images to, to look at what exactly is the extent of somebody's injury. Now, it's not only an x-ray, it might be a, um, a CT scan, uh, it might be a, a more detailed, something called an MRI scan, it might be um, an ultrasound scan. So there are a variety of different um, forms of imagery that a diagnostic radiographer um, may need to, to operate. Now, some of those might be um, extended roles and, and require further study. So, for example, um, a particular things around ultrasound scanning is a, is a different qualification, um, but they all, all add up to helping diagnose um, conditions. Um, and they could be, you know, work in a variety of different areas. So we mentioned... Um, accident emergency but they might be required in theatre mm. so when somebody's having an operation um, maybe um, something like a, a hip replacement might be required to take an x-ray before while the patient's on mm. the operating table to make sure that the hip the new hip is in the right position um, they might need to take an x-ray of somebody's chest um, and again there might be in an outpatient department where you know you and I might be referred by our GP to go and have a something like a chest x-ray or they actually might have to be on a ward where the patient is too unwell to go down to an department so a mobile x-ray unit needs to go onto a ward to take a picture to be able to help aid doctors in terms of the diagnosis and the right form of treatment. Um, again one of the courses um, that is um always popular and popular up and down the country in particular at Teesside University um, is our paramedic course and when you go out to colleges and you chat to applicants and people come, come along to open days they have a predefined uh, idea of what a paramedic is now sometimes that some of that's accurate sometimes it's very wrong um, what is the role of a paramedic mm. now and what does our course offer people uh, who come to study at Teesside? Mm. Yeah, I think sometimes um, the idea of what a paramedic is, is all around, centred around sort of that um, responding to uh, road traffic collisions, uh, blue light emergencies, um, and often that's, that's sort of um, supported by things that people see within the media or on yeah. television and, of and documentaries. It, it is a part it, of the role. Absolutely, it is a part of the role, the role, absolutely. But there are other parts of the role which might be around um, people uh, uh, ringing uh, 999, requiring an, an ambulance if somebody's had a fall, going to find, pick somebody up who's fallen at home um, or um, is deteriorating in a care home environment. So there could be a variety of different um, areas really involving, involving a paramedic, but I think it's just to be clear that it's not always around that blue light emergency um, 
Yeah, because uh, obviously there's a big shift as well to care in the community Absolutely. and paramedics taking on a bigger role within the community and within primary care. So you see people uh, who are paramedics who have gone on to roles um, maybe he's a bit more advanced in the future in the career to work in a GP surgery, to work in out-of-hours care, um, who are able to see, treat and discharge patients as well. So the role, the role is expanding, isn't it? Absolutely, it really is expanding. So it, it isn't unusual to see a paramedic working in a GP practice mm. prescribing mm. Um, for, for, for patients. So it is a very, very different and varied role. Um, and again, one of the things we try to get across with um, uh, applicants who are applying for paramedic studies is that it's not for everyone um, because people have this idea of what they see on TV or they might see an ambulance uh, driving down the road with the blue lights on and think it's really exciting but actually you've got to have a certain um, you've got to have certain qualities so what type of qualities would we look for in someone applying for paramedic studies? Yeah I think that that's a really good question because I think people do see that and you see an ambulance racing down the road and I always think when I see an ambulance going down the road, my stomach always does a little bit of a flip because you know at the end of that, somebody is in some extreme situation mm -hmm. really. Um, so it is really important to think about what qualities that you, you want and what skills really. And I think there needs to be an element of resilience, um, you know, physical resilience because you can be on the go all the mm -hmm. time, mental resilience because you, can't, you have to deal with, an, you know, you get up on a morning and go to work as a paramedic and you're not really sure what's going to unfold um, you know, uh, during that day. could be a variety of different things. And some of it might be something that is really distressing. You know, it might involve somebody being, you know, who's got up from work, got up for work that morning, being involved in a road uh, traffic collision. Um, so it might be something like that. It might be somebody who's collapsed and you might end up resuscitating somebody, trying to resuscitate somebody. Um, so it's, so it, it's that adaptability to that, you know, not quite knowing what your day is going to be. And that can be very, very challenging and distressing sometimes. Yeah, so um, we do help prepare students to go into clinical practice. So we don't expect them to be able to, to have this resilience, this physical and mental resilience. But we also have clinical skills labs as well to to prepare people before they go into those situations, whether that be an emergency situation or a primary care situation. And again, we have a, a paramedic lab, don't we? We do. We have a really excellent paramedic lab with um, two uh, ambulances in. Um, so um, students who are on our paramedic course get the opportunity to practice those skills um, actually within the confines of a, of a real life ambulance because it's different you know, spreading out all over the floor when you're practicing a skill to actually being in, in the confines of being in the back of an ambulance. So I think that that's a really important thing that you get to simulate that mm. um, and feel what that's like. Um, and, but you're right, we, we support people um, on the course in a variety of different ways, not only in terms of the development of the skills, but actually with that res resilience. We're not expecting people to turn up on day one and be totally resilient. You know, there will be things that will be challenging within that three-year programme. And we have you know, systems in terms of um, personal tutors and assessors, mentors in practice that help support the student you know, during that, that three-year journey. Fab. And I, I suppose that, that, that leads us on to a, another really popular course, 
and of course that people think they understand the profession, they understand the role and that's that of midwifery. So we all think we know what a <coughs> midwife does and we've all heard of midwives and you see TV programmes like Call a Midwife and, and things like that and we maybe just get an image of a midwife which isn't really current. Um, what is the role of a midwife and now uh, and how do we prepare people to go into clinical practice into what is a, an ever-changing and advancing role? Absolutely, and it is incredibly popular to be to, to, to be a midwife. Um, and you're right, people get they watch things on television like call a midwife and they think that they've got an idea of what it is. There are other things that maybe offer a bit more of a realistic um, you know, description of, of the role, like one born every minute, where you get cameras actually in, in a in a labour a labour ward and of course they see, you know, really lovely things or babies being born. Um, and, and obviously that's the role. The role of a midwife is to help support uh, women uh, and empower uh, women to have a, have a, a pregnancy um, and to think about how they are supported and it might be around health professional and, and health promotional advice uh, during pregnancy. Um, but they also have got to support people when things actually don't go to plan when things, um, you know, as everybody says, you know, having a baby is a natural thing, mm. but, but there are a lot of things that can actually not go to plan. Yeah, complications. Absolutely, can, complications, yeah. and they need to be able to, to support, you know, women during that time. And we have some excellent, excellent simulation um, equipment and labs within the universe that help support yeah. sim mom, students. Sim baby. We've got sim mum and sim baby, absolutely. So you can actually simulate what it is like between, you know, within um, a labour ward and, and mum giving birth. But again, as, as we've discussed quite a lot, it's about being part of a multi-professional team and that's really important. Really important that at the end of the course that um, students can come out and being able to advocate for mum and to be able to make sure that they work together in a team so excellent communication skills um, is really important to work as part of a multi-professional team. Fab. And we haven't mentioned every course today, we've, we've mentioned some of the courses, we have a whole range which can all be found on the website. And one of the things with all of our courses, because you get to uh, do your, de your degree or your qualification and at the end of that, most of our courses you have to register with a, a professional body. Um, we have uh, certain standards in terms of what we're looking for. And finally, Anne, just a quick thank you for uh, sitting here today and, and answering all the questions in terms of our courses. That's fine, thank you.